This is a soldier. When our country needed them, they stepped forward from the crowd, and then they looked back at us and said, I will protect you. This is a soldier. They said, I'll do it, whether it's my boots in the mud, my charter in the sea, or my eyes in the sky. I'll go on your behalf. I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with your brother, with your sister. I will laugh with them. I will cry with them. I will fight with them. I will even die with them. This is a soldier. So they cut their hair. They changed their names. They took their orders. They got up at four, stayed up till twelve. The next day, they ran. They sweat. They pushed. They hauled. They marched. They yelled. They served. They beat their chest. They stood in our place. This is a soldier. They sacrificed their time. Sometimes their lives. Lives cut short in the name of the red, white, and blue. Lives cut short because our freedoms depend on it. This is a soldier. So today, we, the church, honor you, you who are left behind, to carry on their name, to carry on their memory, to carry on their flag. We are the church, so we mourn with those who mourn. We are the church, so we care for the widows and orphans. We are the church, so we honor those who have fallen in service. And honor to you, widows and orphans of war. Honor to you, the mothers and fathers who battle on. Honor to your greatest of sacrifices. May God bless you. And may God bless America. We do honor this morning all those who have served in our various uh, military branches. So I'd like to ask right now all the men and women uh, who have uh, served in the past or are presently serving, will you just please come to the front and just line up across the front of the sanctuary and just hold your applause. I want to be able to say a few words and then we'll have the opportunity to express our appreciation. So all the men and women if you have served in the past or you're presently serving, just come right across the front here.
I know I speak for the entire church uh, when I say that uh, we have the deepest respect uh, for uh, all of you. Uh, I've shared before, I've, I've always had uh, the greatest admiration for those who have served uh, in the military. My father uh, served in active service for close to 36 years. Uh, fought in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, and then he did 28 more years uniform service as an ROTC instructor. And so uh, I have the uh, greatest uh, love, respect for my father, for these uh, men and women who have served. Uh, many of you also know that uh, for many, many years now, uh, our family has extended an open invitation uh, to any uh, spouses along with their children to join us for our Tuesday family dinner uh, when their spouse is deployed. And uh, that way we have gotten to know in a very intimate way uh, those in our church that have served in the uh, military. Uh, we know the tremendous sacrifices uh, that they make and we do have the greatest love. Matter of fact, the tie I'm wearing, this was given to me by uh, Wendell Wiggins. Uh, one of our military men who uh, is since deceased. And so I wear this in honor of not just uh, Wendell, but all those that have gone uh, before us. And uh, the first thing I'd like to do, and uh, I think we're all acutely aware uh, that we don't know how much longer we'll have the opportunity uh, to express appreciation face-to-face uh, with this particular group because we're losing so many so quickly just uh, due to their age. But if any of you uh, served in the military in World War II, would you just step forward in World War II? Amen. And we love you guys. I can, uh, it, 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 uh, it, there's a sadness there. I can remember the day when we would do that, and we probably had 20 or 30 men uh, that uh, served in War II, and we've just uh, lost them over the years, uh, one by uh, one. But I think now would be the appropriate time uh, for you to express your love, your respect, and your admiration for all of these who have served so admirably, made the sacrifices they've made on the behalf of our nation. Let's show them our thanks now. Amen. Please remain standing, please remain standing, let me pray, and then uh, as I conclude my prayer, uh, we will have the playing of taps uh, in honor of those who made the ultimate sacrifice, who laid down their lives in uh, service uh, to our country, so bow with me in prayer. Father, we can never thank you enough uh, for these men and women uh, standing in front of us. Uh, we thank you that they 
made the decision uh, to serve, to serve our country, uh, to protect us, to secure and maintain a freedom. Uh, Father, we realize that they, and not only they, but their families made tremendous uh, sacrifices uh, during their years of service. And Father, we pray that you would uh, bless them for that uh, service uh, as they were all such fine uh, soldiers of our nation. And then, Lord, I know these standing in front of us are not only soldiers and Marines and airmen and sailors of the United States of America, but they are soldiers for Christ. And, Lord, I pray your blessing on them in their walk with you, uh, that you would uh, bring them comfort. Uh, Lord, we know that many struggle with past experiences, memories that have scarred their very hearts, their minds and their emotions, the memories of lost comrades. Uh, Lord, they need your grace. They look to you for that grace. And Lord, we pray you would give them that grace. Uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would continue to enable them uh, to stand strong for you. We think of especially of those standing here that are still active. And Father, we pray your divine protection upon them. Uh, that you would cover them with your mighty, right, omnipotent hand. And keep them from all evil and harm. Uh, keep them from the evil intents of the enemy in times of battle and combat. Give them success in their missions and bring them back safely to their loved ones. Bring them back safely to us. And then, Lord, empower them uh, to be a witness for you in the realm of their military service. Uh, that they would be an example to the other men and women that they serve with and that they would be a light for you in that arena of service. And then, Father, we want to remember, of course, uh, those that have made the ultimate sacrifice, that literally laid down their life in service to our country. Um, Father, we pray your blessing upon their families on this day as they deal with their grief, as they also celebrate the life of their loved one who served and who sacrificed so greatly. And Lord, just encourage and bless and strengthen them. And then Lord, I pray for our nation that you would always give us a deep love, respect and admiration for our military forces, that we would always hold them in high regard and give them the admiration and the love, respect they deserve. So, Lord, bless them now to be a blessing to you.
Amen. Amen. You may be seated, and men, women, we'll let you go back to your places. I pray you will not mind uh, that today I'm going to divert just one Sunday from our uh, Hebrews study, and I'll tell you the reason why. I'm actually going to bring a message this morning that I shared several years ago on Memorial Day. But at that time, we were meeting down in the fellowship hall. That's when the renovations were being done in the sanctuary. And so there was not the opportunity uh, to tape this message. And I believe, not because I'm sharing the message, but because of the truth of the message, I believe this is a very important message to get on our church website. Uh, to have available and to be disseminated. So uh, that is my motivation. So if you uh, remember this message from several years back, please indulge me and I I trust uh, you'll know it uh, working again in your heart and in in your life. Uh, Today, we do remember uh, those who made the ultimate sacrifice to secure and maintain our nation's freedom. I know of no more fitting tribute than what Abraham Lincoln wrote uh, to a mother who lost multiple sons on the field of battle. I pray that our Heavenly Father may assuage that anguish of your bereavement and leave you only the cherished memory of the loved and lost, and the solemn pride that must be yours to have laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. The question we must answer this morning is this. As we remember those who laid so costly a sacrifice on the altar of freedom. How will we use the freedom they secured for us? Will we use our freedom to honor God and the moral absolutes that made our nation great? Or will we squander our freedom by turning away from God to pursue self-gratification? This is where the battle is being fought for the very heart of our nation. So look with me now at four truths related to the battle for our nation. Truth number one, a nation's response to God's laws is the decisive factor in its history and destiny. A nation's response to God's laws is the decisive factor in its history and destiny. Look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness makes a nation great. Sin is a disgrace to any nation. Look at how that same verse reads in the paraphrase, the message. God devotion makes a country strong. God avoidance leaves people weak. What makes a nation great? Notice, not military might or economics, but righteousness. I am not saying the economy 
and national security are not important issues. They are very important issues. But if there is a God in heaven who rules over the nations of the earth, why would we expect God's protection if we come out from under his authority? Look at Psalm 33, verses 16 through 18. The king is not saved by a mighty army. A warrior is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a false hope for victory, nor does it deliver anyone by its great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who what? Fear Him. Those who reverence God, who honor God, who submit to God. See, why expect God to fix our broken economy if we forsake His righteousness? Look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Look at the next statement in your notes. No nation breaks God's laws without being broken on them. No nation, no nation breaks God's laws without being broken on them. America is broken today because America is breaking God's laws. We need to heed the words of our very first president, George Washington. This is what he spoke on his first inaugural address. He said, the foundation... The foundation of our national policy will be laid in the pure and immutable principles of private morality, persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. More contemporary president... Ronald Reagan warned, we poison our society when we remove its theological underpinnings. We court corruption when we leave it bereft of belief. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. America's response to God's laws will be the decisive factor in our history and destiny. Truth number two, obedience to God's laws brings God's blessing, while disobedience brings God's judgment. Again, obedience to God's laws brings God's blessing, while disobedience brings God's judgment. Look at Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man or a nation sows, this he will also reap. Did you know, and this is important for us to know because they're rewriting our nation's history to remove God. Did you know that America's entire legal system was built on the Bible? I mean, this is what made our nation great. This is what brought God's blessing upon our nation. William Blackstone's commentaries provided the foundation for the legal system established in America, which stated 
that all human laws depend on God's laws, which are found, quote, only in the Holy Scripture. Our whole legal system is built on these commentaries. And Blackstone said, again, all human laws depend on God's laws, which are found only in the Holy Scripture. And then he went on to say, and no human laws should ever contradict God's laws. John Adams, our second president, he said the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. I'll read that again. Second president, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. This was also the belief, believe it or not, of the early Supreme Court justices. Listen to this majority opinion of the Supreme Court in 1892. This is what majority opinion wrote. Our laws, referring to the United States of America, our laws and our institutions must necessarily be based upon and embody the teachings of the Redeemer of mankind. It is impossible that it should be otherwise. And in this sense and to this extent, our civilization and our institutions are emphatically Christian. United States Supreme Court. Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story wrote in his commentaries on the Constitution. He said, it yet remains a problem to be solved in human affairs whether any free government can be permanent where the public worship of God and the support of religion constitute no part of the policy or duty of the state in any assignable form. See, today, those words are being put to test in America. There is a concerted effort to remove Christianity from our nation's policies in order to create a purely secular society. The acknowledgement of God through prayer has been expelled from our public schools. Many in the media are spreading disinformation about Christians in order to increase hostility and intolerance towards the Christian faith. Many lawmakers and judges are attempting to eradicate God's moral absolutes from public policy. Laws are being changed to give people the right to engage in practices that once were illegal, like abortion, which is the destruction of human life, and redefining marriage to include homosexual unions. Christians are being told in the name of freedom, we must not only tolerate practices that God condemns, but we are to condone this evil. Listen, beloved, when any nation calls good evil and evil good, God's judgment is inevitable. And right around the corner. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Therefore as tongues of fire lick up straw, and as dry grass sinks down in the flames, so their roots will decay, and their flowers blow away like dust. 
For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. Therefore the Lord's anger burns against His people. His hand is raised and He strikes them down. Now this next passage is not in your sermon notes, but listen to Revelation chapter 18, verses 5 through 8, which I'm reading from the paraphrase, the message. It says, Her sins stink to high heaven. God has remembered every evil she's done. Bring her flaunting and wild ways to torment and tears. In one day, disasters will crush her. Death, heartbreak, and famine. Then she will be burned by fire because God, the strong God who judges her, has had enough. Notice, there is a point where God says with any nation, with any culture, I've had enough. And keep in mind that in the Old Testament, God judged his own people for their sin. So don't believe America has some kind of special immunity from God's judgment. We don't. Look at Amos chapter 3 verse 2, a very important principle. He says, you only have I chosen Of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your sins. In other words, the principle is that next statement in your notes. Greater privilege brings greater responsibility. And greater responsibility brings greater judgment. That's the principle that he's speaking of in Amos 3.2. He says to his people, you know, you only have I chosen. I've privileged you, I've blessed you like no other nation on planet earth. And therefore, you have greater responsibility. And because you've strayed, I'm going to punish you. And folks, can we not see how America has been graced by God? Has been blessed, privileged by God? God has blessed America. But is America blessing God? Peter Marshall, the great preacher and chaplain of the U.S. Senate, Stated clearly the choice that is before us. He says, the choice before us is plain. Christ or chaos? Conviction or compromise? Discipline or disintegration? So truth number one, a nation's response to God's law is the decisive factor in its history and destiny. Truth two, obedience to God's law brings God's blessing, while disobedience brings God's judgment. Truth number three. The most important issue that impacts national progress or decline is not economics. It's not military might or political clout, but adherence to biblical values. The most important issue that impacts national progress or decline is not economics, military might, or political clout, but adherence to biblical principles. or biblical values. What are the two most important values for a nation to adhere to? Well, I've already touched on them briefly. The first one, the sanctity of human life. The sanctity of human life. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 reads, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
Look at Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. There is an unbreakable link between the existence of God and the value of each and every human life. Life has value because that life has been created by God in His image. America was built on the biblical principle that we have specific inalienable rights bestowed on us by our Creator, the chief of which is the right to life. When you erase the Creator from the picture, you remove any basis for the value of human life, which undermines the right to life. People are viewed as pawns to be manipulated for the good of society, which ushers in atrocities like abortion, infanticide, and euthanasia. Abortion not only aborts a baby from the womb, but it aborts God from society. Infanticide not only removes the disabled child, but it removes moral sensitivities. Euthanasia not only eliminates the old and the infirm, but it removes, it eliminates compassion. Now folks, once you abort God from society, once you remove moral sensibilities, once you eliminate compassion, what are you left with? Death. Death to not only the right to life, but death to the very value of life. Death to the meaning and purpose of life. Death to society itself, because once God is erased, all that's left is materialism and greed. The sanctity of human life is the paramount issue, because more than any other issue, it reveals the place that God has in that society. Look at Proverbs 24, verses 11 and 12. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? I commend the work of the staff and volunteers at Sound Choices Pregnancy Clinic, who are delivering lives each and every day. The Baby Bottle Boomerang Campaign is a wonderful opportunity to come along their side and provide the financial support they need. And if you're struggling determining the amount of your gift, all you need to do is answer one question. What is the worth of a single human life? What price tag would you, peep, would you put on one life being saved to have an opportunity to come to know his or her God-given destiny? And then you just simply give accordingly. Now, what is the second paramount value for a nation to adhere to? The sanctity of marriage. The sanctity of marriage. Traditional marriage. Look at Genesis 2.24. You also find this in Ephesians 5.31. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God, God, 
God defined marriage as the union between a man and a woman. Any attempt to redefine marriage is an assault on God and his moral code. Once a nation, now listen now, once a nation abandons marriage as God defined it, there no longer remains a basis for moral absolutes. And all you're left with is moral relativism, where anything goes. And at this point, society collapses, what, from the inside out. Look at Romans 1, verses 26 and 28. Again, from the paraphrase, the message puts it so well. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men. All lust, no love. And, we, and then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love godless. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose, rampant evil. And before I move to the final point, let me just say on a personal note, it is literally inconceivable to me how a Christian can vote for a political candidate who supports abortion and gay marriage knowing it will lead to the collapse of our society. It's just inconceivable to me. The fourth truth, the final truth. The church's primary role is not to identify with a political party, but to live and speak God's truth regardless the cost in order to rent, win our culture for Christ. And we are to use our influence to put men and women in office who will promote biblical values. I'll repeat that. The church's primary role is not to identify with any political party, but to live and speak God's truth regardless the cost, in order to win our culture for Christ, and we are to use our influence to put men and women in office who will promote biblical values. See, for a Christian, for a believer, for a follower of Jesus, the primary issue is never allegiance to a political party, it's allegiance to Jesus and His Word. We are to live like Jesus, and we are to speak His truth in love. Take the issues of the sanctity of life, and traditional marriage. We are to boldly speak the truth about the sanctity of life. But at the same time, we are to live out that truth by showing compassion to the woman who finds herself in a crisis pregnancy. By extending forgiveness to the post-abortive woman and showing love to the abortionist. We are to courageously speak the truth about the sanctity of traditional marriage. But at the same time, we're to live out that truth, what, first, in our own marriages. We are to bring reconciliation to fractured marriages. We are to show compassion to those who have suffered divorce and come along their side to provide healing and support. And we're to give Christ unconditional love to homosexuals. Bottom line, we are to walk as Jesus walked, unwilling to compromise with sin while showing unconditional love toward the sinner. 
and like Jesus, willing to die at the hands of those he came to save. We must be sold out to evangelism, realizing that this battle will be one, what? One heart at a time. We must pray for and seek revival in the church because it will only be a revived church that will possess the light of Jesus to overcome the darkness of this world. I mean, I think we all admit one of the reasons we're in this state of affairs is that we have been hiding within the four walls of the church. And it's about time, as Andy prayed, that we get off our backside and we begin to get out in the marketplace, in the workplace, in the schools, in the political system, wherever God leads, to be His light, to be His spokesman, to demonstrate His love, His life. And then we're to use the wonderful privilege of voting that has been granted us in this country, that many of these men and women have fought for, many have died for. We're to use that wonderful privilege to vote candidates in office who will promote and enact laws which reflect biblical values. And let me just give you a word of advice. When you consider a candidate, never listen to their rhetoric. Look at their record. Now let me close with Ezekiel 22.30. Ezekiel 22.30, that last verse there in your sermon notes. This is God speaking, and he says, I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. I searched for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. What does it mean to stand in the gap? Well, let me give you a very simple definition. A gap is simply the space between what is and what should be, what it ought to be. For example, what is in the United States of America is a silent holocaust, the slaughter of innocent babies. What should be, that life should be cherished, protected. That's a gap. And as believers, we're to get in the middle of that gap and work to close that gap. Same thing with the issue of marriage. And also, you need to understand what this is referring to. In biblical days, cities were surrounded by walls which provided their primary defense. And when a city would come under assault, the enemy would attempt to make a breach in the wall. And when a breach was made, and that gap was made, that's what that's referring to, then the enemy would just pour into that gap, into that breach, just, just flowing into it. Now, folks, think about this. It took a lot of courage for a soldier in that city to run to that gap. Knowing that as he met, came to that gap, he would meet the enemy. That was flowing in. 
outnumbering him greatly. And not only resist that enemy, but along with his comrades, repel that enemy. And not only repel that enemy, but then to repair the gap, to close the breach. And that's what believers are called to do today. Our nation is under assault. You have to be blind to see that there have not been many breaches made in our walls. There are many gaps and the enemy is streaming in like a flood. And their goal, their objective is to remove God and to create a secular society. And God has called us to what? Stand in the gap. To make our stand for Jesus. Which means, as we just talked about, not only to speak His truth, but to live His truth regardless the cost, like we talked about last week. How those early Christians refused to submit to Caesar as their ultimate authority. They were only willing to recognize Jesus was their ultimate authority. Remember I shared with you, Romans didn't give a hoot. They didn't give a, they didn't care who or what you worshipped in the Roman Empire. I mean, multiple gods were being worshipped in the Roman. They didn't care as long as you acknowledge that Caesar was your ultimate, final authority in all things. And all the Christians had to do to get away from the persecution, to save their lives, was to go into one of the Roman temples, burn a little incense, and to say three words, Caesar is Lord. That's all they had to do. But the Christian says, no, Caesar is not my final authority. Jesus is my final authority. And there's a point where you have to take a stand, even if it means civil disobedience, for the sake of God and for the sake of righteousness. Not in an arrogant way. Not in an angry way. Again, everything I've emphasized, we speak the truth and we speak that truth in love. Willing to die at the very hand of those that we're reaching out to in love. Now as I close, you know, there's another verse in the Old Testament where it says, The eyes of God search to and fro throughout the entire earth looking for that man looking for that woman, looking for that young person, looking for that boy, looking for that girl who's willing to put their trust in God, whose heart is totally His. My challenge to you this morning is are you willing to hear God's call to the battle? Are you willing to enlist as one of his soldiers? You know, we had these men and women standing here. There came a time in their life that they had to ante up. And they said, enough is enough. I'm going in. And even if it costs my life, it's worth it to stop Hitler. Or whatever the particular battle may have been. And folks, that's what we're called to do as believers, 
It's time to get out of our comfort zone. And it's time to make a stand. Speak the truth. Live it. Amen? Father, we desperately need your grace to meet this challenge. Father, we acknowledge we're all cowards at heart. Lord, I admit I'm a coward at heart. We would prefer to avoid the conflict, to avoid the, the cost of following Christ, to avoid often the consequences of obedience. But Father, we look to you uh, to give us grace, uh, to stand for Jesus, to speak his truth, to live his life, and do it all out of a motive of love. Again, Father, if you don't come to our aid, we will be like Peter and deny you. But Lord, we thank you that through Christ we can do all things. And thank you, Lord, that you use the weak to confound the strong. You use the foolish to confound the wise. So, Lord, every person that's here this morning feeling totally inadequate and overwhelmed, that makes us a candidate. Because it's in our weakness that you perfect your strength. So, Lord, we need your leadership. We need your guidance, not only as individuals, but as a church family. To know how to properly relate to our society and culture. We need your wisdom and guidance to know how to practically stand in the gap. In this very dark hour of despair, where we see our nation literally racing towards judgment. And God, give us the grace not to stand by and do nothing. But again, give us the grace to rush to the gap to stand in it, adorned with the full armor of God, knowing that you are with us and you will enable us. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended this morning, I just trust God spoke into your heart. And just right there in your heart you'll say, Here I am, God. You know, I, I might not totally understand what you want me to do right now or how to live in this age, but I'm just letting you know, here I am. I'm willing. I'm available. I'm acknowledging my total and under, utter dependence upon you. I'm, not, I'm acknowledging that I'm a scaredy cat. I'm a coward at heart. I'd rather just live a life of ease. I don't want the conf confrontation. I don't want the conflict. But bottom line... Jesus is worthy of all that I am and of all that I possess. Because as we sang earlier, what? Jesus paid it all. And we're to follow in his footsteps. And then, of course, I'll be standing here to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature, a public decision, a public profession of faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, a desire to unite with our church family. We would just ask you to come forward and let that be known so that we can introduce you to the church family and help you begin that process. But again, I trust every single person 
won't hide behind the invitational hymn. You respond. What's your response to God as He's calling you right now? Will you stand in the gap for me here in this society, in this culture? Again, you may not know what the next step will be, but are you willing to make this first step? Enlist. I'm here. I accept the call. And then your commander-in-chief, he'll be faithful to give you his orders, to give you the next step, and not only give you the orders, but provide the supplies you need to accomplish wherever he does lead. So please stand as the invitation is extended.